Hey folks and welcome to a Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Ziegfeld Follies, directed by a whole bunch of people that we'll get into later. The Breakfast Club by John Hughes. Magic Mike, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Magic Mike XXL by Gregory Jacobs. And finally, newly released, Magic Mike's Last Dance, directed by Steven Soderbergh. It's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay on this end. You had a dance-filled week. <laughs> you were dancing. Alternative title you for, dancing. Uh, for this week is How Confident Are You in Your Own Sexuality? <laughs> uh, this would have been a great double theater watch, me and you going to the movies together. <laughs> I couldn't make it Saturday, unfortunately. Right, right. But uh, I love that you did the magic mics together. Yeah. I absolutely love that you did. I mean, it was a doozy. I, I, Painful, I'm sure. Painful in weird ways. Uh, Believe me, uh, I was (laughs) laughing my ass off at the fact that I actually care about good qualities in this in these films yes uh and uh i think i texted you right away when i watched the uh, the first two or watched the first yes, two back to back i was like yes, uh, it's gonna be a good episode because <laughs> <laughs> i actually give a damn about <laughs> magic mike i, I care week. about steven soderbergh as a director uh, sure and he did two of them sure so we'll get into that later yep for right now we're sticking with fred astaire february <laughs> right this is the this is we're gonna do this is the second last week for fred uh, I think so. Actually, I had some trouble uh, finding a whole slew of movies. Uh, so, really? Like we're yeah. running out of movies for him? Uh, or you mean like... More so uh, ca- licensing Capability problems. of watching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Licensing <clears throat> hell. So. Okay, so th- we're going back to 1946. This is the Zegfeld Follies. Mm-hmm. The reason why I said it's directed by many people is because it is directed and written by many people. <laughs> by many, many people. And if you could kind of explain how this movie was put together. Perfect. I'll make a couple notes first, though. Sure. In the beginning. It has kind of a credit of being a year before, 1945. Mm-hmm. It came out in Boston mm-hmm. in something like June or July oh, okay. of 45. It didn't become released in the U.S. until summer of 46. Interesting. And then... It was sent for the second year um, in Cannes in 1947. Oh, it, wow. It was submitted into Cannes. Weird. Very weird. Wartime. Wartime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they cared about other things. <laughs> but set this up again. It's uh, the directing and writing credits. Are, it's are, all over the It map. is all over the place. Right, right. So why is it, why is it set up that way exactly? Uh, so it's an anthology. So it's a collection of vignettes, not short films, but different segments. Uh, and unlike maybe some of the anthologies that we've covered um, coming to mind French Dispatch and, and Animatrix uh, that we've at least covered on the podcast. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. You know, those are you know are done by multiple directors, multiple writers. So a little bit of history here, folks. Uh, Ziegfeld Follies was a old, old Broadway show starting in 1907. Uh, 1907, I mean, like, this is kind That's of crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really is wild. This Broadway show was a review act uh, and essentially is a variety show. That kind of has come and went as far as a style that we even see in Broadway past the 50s. Uh, so this kind of review is meant as a variety show. You experience some comedy, you experience some song and dance, some romance, you know, it's all that. And so it's a kind of a variety approach to it. 
I would say, it, so are we broken up into sections so clearly where it camera fades and we're mm. into part two on the screen? 100%. Or, oh, okay, all right. Uh, almost exactly. Think like a musical theater Fantasia, basically. Okay. Uh, so much so that uh, all these various directors, all these various writers are listed uh, right in front of you with right. the, the stars of each of the, each okay. of the segments. So uh, this old school Broadway show, I mean really old school, it ran so long that it eventually became a radio show uh, in the 30s. And by 1937, MGM, who held the license at the time, uh, was saying, hey, we got to produce films with this. Yeah. So uh, there are three movies in total. And while it might sound odd that we're jumping into the last of the three in the series, I have to stress that these movies are completely unrelated. They're all just variety acts, and there's no connection to them. Okay. Again, think you know, uh, a Fantasia, any anthology, you know, it's just collection of shorts. Are we swapping characters or do we have character like Fred, Ast- Fred Astaire is only in part two when we don't see him in one and three? Uh, or- no, if anything, the char- there's not really characters. If anything, these are highlights of the specific stars. So Fred Astaire is referred to as Fred Astaire in this. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and that's where this, this kind of older style review, it was supposed to spotlight a lot of different talent in one spot. Obviously, as you know, audiences at the time, you know, <laughs> yeah, way, way, way before any kind of internet or anything like right, that. Right. This is the, this was their chance to see the platform for multiple, uh, multiple talents uh, in one spot, basically. Kind of a cool concept. Yeah. For mid forties. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was watching this, and I was like, if I ever was in an MGM's office, I might give this an elevator pitch at some point. <laughs> Bring Ziegfeld back. And the know? actors, they are grabbing from because back in the day, especially then. Mm-hmm. Um, you were really bound to studios. Actors yes. were bound to studios. So MGM just brought their big, their huge talent, yep. right? Yep. Huge. Lucille Ball is in this. Mm. And I don't know. I don't know why I'm uh, thinking Judy of so Garland. Many. Yes, Judy Garland. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And Gene a, Kelly, a couple Fred others. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's huge. And it's like, I, no, I'm not gonna make sorry. No, go no, ahead. Go, it's go. like what I was gonna say. It just cuts you off <laughs> to say that it, it's like a musical. <laughs> it's like an old school musical Avengers. <laughs> I love that. That's what this, it is. This is Endgame right here. <laughs> it is Endgame. <laughs> That's fantastic. Absolutely. I, I I think at some point I might have even wanted to make that joke and write it down. But I'm glad you made it. But yeah, uh, this film kicks off in heaven with Ziegfeld himself, kind of waxing poetic about the good old days and yearning over what he would do. If he could put on just one last show, what type of talent would he bring in? What type of variety show would he put on? And that really starts the variety of acts. And, I mean, it includes a lot. It includes stop-motion animation, massive dance numbers, uh, musical numbers, and underwater ballet, which was incredible. Uh, I I officially have a crush uh, from 1945, uh, Esther Williams. Uh, She was. Oh, my gosh, she's beautiful. Yeah, you know Esther Williams. (laughs) She was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, like a whole underwater like ballet. James segment. Cameron <laughs> Avatar, huh? I, I I was questioning uh <laughs> what's her face for having the record on on, on longest breath held <laughs> off the oh, avatar. <laughs> Because clearly but it's going to my girl Esther. That's ballsy for for mid forties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sketch comedy, all very distinctly unfunny. I don't think I laughed once, <laughs> uh, and even full on opera. So there is a lot, a lot of variety here. And with that, I mean, all these segments. You might be wondering, where's our boy Fred? Where's Fred Astaire? And honestly, so was I. <laughs> I it took until even just the very last moments of watching this film to just me keeping it in this week so it was an interesting enough time capsule uh for me to keep it in here the sad truth is uh, our boy astaire is only in a fraction of this mm. and while his segments are wonderful it's only like three out of ten plus segments so oh wow you know if you're really watching this as i was honestly coming for specifically astaire you're gonna have to wait until pretty much the entire runtime of this to get his his best segments okay so, so you're saying 10 ish segments it's an hour and 50 so uh, these are, these are little vignettes yeah these are there's a lot bite, it's rapid fire. absolutely yeah. especially when I feel like, especially with the comedy segments, and again, uh, unfortunately, they just don't work. I (laughs) I didn't find a single one very funny. Uh, It's all focused a lot around um, physical comedy and just like making funny faces, 
which hey I mean, yeah you know that's a lot of comedy that's jim carrey right there mm. <laughs> it's know? very it's very play-ish too mm. You know, because you have to be more expressive on your face because mm-hmm. we're following like Broadway stuff Absolutely. too, right? Uh, so I think it's appropriate for the time. Uh, I just think, if anything, it feels like the movie knows when something isn't working and they cut it a little bit earlier. I would say, you know, with so many different directors, so many different writers, it's hard to pin down a specific, you know, praise or critique. I will say, and I will note critically that. I feel like this film misses more than it hits. Uh, from segment to segment, and again, the comedy sequences, unfortunately, are, are where I'm pointing to. This is, this, if anything, this highlights that, you know, it, it's inevitable. I have to watch more comedies. <laughs> Folks, Tom is in my ear. Producer's in my ear, you know. Uh, but it, it, it's just difficult because obviously... You know, this could have been busting a gut for someone in 45. You know, bombs just dropped. They they need a laugh. (laughs) You're getting into the realm of it being so old, like 80 years old, where how do you judge the comedy of that then? Yeah. I mean, we judge, like we said, we judge it in the here and now. Yeah. I would love to see if some comedies still hold up for you. Like I always say Blazing Saddles. Right. That's like 70s. Right. This is 45. Like, it's a wow. So I'm interested. I'm up for the challenge, but uh, it was missing more than it hit, and that's the note there. Okay, so, all right. A through line between them is actually all set design, and I would say that's a through line for praise. Uh, most segments will have some sort of theater-esque look to them, to the stage itself, and I would say the color design is a thread throughout all of these that is very, very good. Uh, backgrounds will have, honestly, wild color schemes that get projected onto heavy, heavy smoke machines that kind of creep across the ground in most scenes. Okay. And if anything, it has this kind of pastel color scheme that is, you know, again, there's not much really tying these together at all, uh, just in the sense that it's kind of a meta sketch where these actors are playing actors, uh, and they're very upfront about that. Uh, but this color design, I mean, it was right out of like a late 60s production, and I, I was very impressed. Yeah, it looked there's, really there's good. Impressive things about this film, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll wrap up with talking about Fred's numbers, because that's why we're here. Uh, two are good. Uh, one isn't so great. We'll start with the rough one. The rough one is a <laughs> is a Oriental themed uh, segment, um, which admittedly gets pretty bold with a dream sequence uh, in it. Uh, he's kind of chasing a girl in this in this rundown town and kind of enters into her dream. Uh, it just feels a bit underwhelming at times and definitely slightly racist. So, <laughs> um, you know, even even by forty five, we're we're all already separating from some things like blackface. Yeah. Uh, however, any kind of Asian depiction, I mean, I would say up until probably mid-50s is still going to be a little dicey, and that, that unfortunately is highlighted here. Out of the two good, though, the first good one sets Fred up as a thief in a ballroom um, that dances with his target to steal a necklace from. Uh, there's no words spoken. It's hmm. very, very cool. I, I was loving it. There's not much tap dance, but the stage itself has a incredible kind of wind-up toy moving floor that is just used to such full effect to take this ballroom dancing and actually make it very exciting. And you can obviously see the movement from these kind of shifting ground beneath mm, mm-hmm. them. That's where Astaire's choreography is really shining. Uh, it, it's top-notch. The second and the final, I believe it was the final segment of the film, uh, is, because <laughs> I'm going to get a little bit nerdy here with Fred Astaire, a downright epic uh, oh, wow. tap dancing sequence between, it's it's Gene Kelly versus Fred Astaire. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. That, this, that, is, this is Endgame. This is Avengers yeah, Endgame. This is, yeah. <laughs> These guys. This is, this is Endgame, absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, this this segment... So interesting. It's such an interesting point because by 1945 as well, Gene Kelly does not have the majority of what he's known for uh, under his belt. Oh, like this um, is younger Kelly and older, yeah. older stare. Yeah. So uh, exactly. Yeah. So there's this like cool torch pass that happens, and obviously that's not affecting my judgment of the film itself so sure. much. But I I thought there was in addition to the whole thing being a very cool time capsule. Yeah. I think that was uh, that's cool Hollywood stuff going on. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Definitely. They're playing to the crowd, really. Uh, and in that case, I mean, you're, you're dead on the money. Like they are playing to. I'm trying the to- <laughs> Captain America versus Captain America matchup of Ed Kane. <laughs> I'm trying to make comp- comparisons too, because there's also films today where actors are playing 
they're actual sure. actors. Yeah, yeah. Like this is like a, this is the end or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's a cool premise. It, yeah. It's just I'm not surprised about the dated aspect of it. Yeah, in, exactly. In, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and as much as I adore Fred Astaire and his I mean his wonderful contributions to the the short film segments. Again, unfortunately, I think um, I just was returning to the thought that it really does miss more than it hits. So, was happy to watch it, folks. If this is an interesting time capsule, if that kind of interests you, if any of the Fred Astaire sequences do interest you, give it a watch. I think for the vast majority of people outside of that, <laughs> outside of those little camps, it, it, it's it's going to be a pass. Not a bad film by any means, but one that uh, that kind of shows its age more than uh, I would have I would have hoped it did. We're going to go ahead and give Ziegfeld Follies a fifty nine. Mm, fifty nine, okay, yeah, an, all, an, an okay store, above average for for what it's going for. Exactly. Interested to just check out this water scene if I can find that something like YouTube or something like that. <laughs> right, I right. made a comment last week about. Fred Astaire, which is about kind of his early days, mid days, and late days. You know, mm-hmm. in mid forties, he is kind of in his l- mid to late career almost. Yeah. He's already, but, but he's about also the knees, right? <laughs> but he, 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 I have to say, it's not that he himself is getting old. It's just his body and the amount of repetition that kind of musical comedy genre. But I mean, he he lived till eighty eight. And he he died in eighty seven. Yeah. So this is still only you know he was alive for another forty years. Sure. But it's just as far as him as an actor being what we know Fred Astaire to do. Yep. This is kind of his mid to late career already. Absolutely. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head as far as the the stylings of musical comedy is definitely you know it is old hat at the point mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, even 45. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we get plenty, you know, we covered a lot from the 50s with Fred Astaire. Like you said, he takes that gap there too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, it, it, it's interesting, but um, definitely don't regret watching this one. Honestly, just underwhelming for other reasons besides Fred Astaire. Yeah. Okay, all right. So with that, that was 45, or for, for kind of 46. <laughs> right. But we're going to jump 40 years in advance. This is our John Hughes uh, kind of study that we're doing john hughes again prolific (laughs) 80s and early 90s writer um his last director as well in the 80s but this guy is writing a hit after hit after hit Mm -hmm. Uh, we went through it a lot last week we did um not 16 candles last week yeah okay so we did 16 candles Mm -hmm. last week and now we're moving on to his second film that we want to cover which is the breakfast club Mm. very recognizable it's this film where you say what it what did why is Emilio Estevez popular or like why is he a name that people kind of know where these brothers with the Sheen sure, Charlie sure. Sheen and everything it's just right. like oh no no he's the kid on the Breakfast Club <laughs> and it's like oh okay all right that's why we know him yeah because yeah. he's in almost nothing else other than Mighty Ducks but yeah anyway. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta make the shout out for my <laughs> uh, John Hughes is writing and directing here. This is rated R. This is the Breakfast Club. And how did the, how did returning to this kind of go? Was this your first time watching it? Um, yes and no. Okay, uh, definitely probably first time like all the way through. Yeah, it might have been a TV yeah, watch or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Definitely, you know, with continuing the Hughes study, we're crossing paths with the iconic once again to see how it stands up. I'll say right away that this has none of the issues that I had with Sixteen Candles. Uh, despite a lot of praise, Sixteen Candles was dated in a lot of ways uh, and had some, you know, uh, you know, problems with music that I always bring up. But <laughs> instead, this film takes a much more dramatic spin, and with that, I think it has new issues that I was not really expecting. For a setup, one cloudy Saturday uh, is cursed by eight hours of detention. Eight hours. That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's, lot. A, that's a lot. <laughs> I never went to detention. What a Oh, yeah. goody. My shoes goody. are clean over here. <laughs> That's why it's Tommy Two Shoes. Spends all Saturday polishing them up. Yeah. <laughs> Five high schoolers from different walks of life um, have to endure this eight hours together, this grueling eight hours. Um, and really, the best breakfast club is about breaking down labels. And seeing people how they really are. For these high schoolers, being in the same detention means that they have a common enemy in adults. But maybe those adults are also the reason for how they see each other as different in the first place. And that really is the heart of The Breakfast Club. It's about breaking down those labels and creating a vulnerability through these high schoolers. I'll say this much. uh, This gets a lot of bonus points for originality. The story structure here within this detention period is... Much more unique than, I would say, most 80s teen comedies. Maybe, 
in all time of teen comedies. For instance, in our 16th Candles review, there were countless comparisons in Hughes' style and story structure from later films. Yeah. Uh, the big one that I kept on harping on was Superbad. Mm-hmm. I mean, Super- 16 Candles is basically, you know, Superbad, <laughs> or, or rather vice versa. It's not at all the case, case here, and I would say that's great to come across in modern day to experience something so unique, so uh, uh, in its own style. Uh, and again, for, for the time or even today. It, oh, even today. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything like Breakfast Club. Honestly, it's kind of that surprises me. Yeah, I know that maybe like a B movie, but right, right, certainly not a main release. Interesting, because I know that we're st- because it's dealing with the different stereotypes of the kids. Mm-hmm. But is it more so that because we're kind of stuck? We're in detention. Is it because we're really boiled down as the essence of who these characters are and breaking down barriers? And yeah, such, I, I think I think it's the fun high school detention sto- structure, the skeleton to the story. On top of that, as well, is that the the objective, the focus, uh, the target of the film is this dramatic spin, okay. uh, which I think is that's where it's going to separate itself from. Maybe someone just doing the eight hours detention as a comedy or something like that. So this is really a drama, honestly. Right. More than anything. Okay. So, and that's a perfect bridge into honestly what I was surprised at was this dramatic spin. I really didn't expect it at all. Um, you know, there is a lot of comedy here, especially with the teacher character. But all the big moments were spotlighting trauma in some way. Uh, sadly, it spotlights my biggest issue uh, with the film is which is performance. So we got some kid actors here. I, I wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. People say how much they love this film. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and I think the writing, you know, when it's at its most emotional, most real moments. I mean, Hughes is really creating real scenarios for teens at the time. But also, again, in this kind of message that adults are the reason maybe why we see each other in different camps. Uh, and not just as kids. Right, not just right. as fellow teenagers. That is honestly top-notch writing. I just don't think these actors can keep up with it. You mentioned Estevez already. <laughs> Emilio! <laughs> Emilio's not doing great. Judd Nelson, though, is who I'm taking my knives out with. He's, I believe, the oldest of the group. I believe 25. We go from, like, 16-year-olds to 25. Okay. Um, in the range of these, sure. of these actors. What stereotype is he? He is the criminal kind of... Bad boy. Uh, misfit. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just by far the worst offender of it, considering he just <laughs> dominates like the first 45 minutes. It's like no one is even speaking. Uh, and obviously, he's the first tip into them maybe breaking down some of those barriers. But I, I was just flat out annoyed with the acting. Really? Yeah. Even other favorites like Molly Ringwald, they can't seem to dive deep into the motions that these characters and most importantly, the script needs. You know, uh, this is a classic case where I think iconic doesn't equate to or equal to the quality. Yeah. Uh, Everyone knows a name, but... Yeah. Do should they? Is it really deserving? Exactly. And something I was scratching my head over is like, you know, where all these actors and actresses go? They're all like working actors, but they never get another big performance outside of this stretch of the John Hughes films. Also, going back to the 80s, I mean, it could be a variety of things. They couldn't, you know, it could be that they didn't play ball with a certain producer or something. You know, it could be anything. But I, I, I was definitely seeing some of the dots that uh, dramatically, I don't think. You know these 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 kid actors are just there yet, and that's fine. You know that's that's a, as we always say that's the essential problem with with kid actors. Yeah, and they are older. I mean, we're not dealing with like eight year olds or ten year olds, mm-hmm. which is really where who we like to usually dig into. Who <laughs> we like to beat up? Because I think what they're playing, like you said, they're playing fourteen to sixteen or fourteen to eighteen. Right? Yeah, Wouldn't they are right? playing right into their demographic. Sure. So. I don't know. Expect a little bit more, maybe. Yeah. Uh, again, it just surprises me because everyone knows the movie. Yeah, that's all. Exactly, and it's all about the kids' performances. And I'll say this much: I mean, it is. If this is supposed to kind of tell a a deep message to land with no one but teens, right. and maybe change some of their thinking. I mean, having actual teens play it, I think that's good. I just think watching this film critically, it just wasn't doing it for me. So uh, I would say also this film is seriously backloaded. Uh, the first you know, hour in 15 has so little going on. Um, like, so, like, bore yourself to tears. And then it's only when these kids' barriers break down that the film gets really good and... 
that's where you see all the iconic scenes. Them dancing around the mm, library, them yeah. running around the halls, them you know, smoking a joint in the library. You know, that's where it all is. So, but uh, like I said in the beginning, what role does iconic play? Yeah. Uh, do these shoddy kid performances get a pass? And does the feel and the legacy of the film transcend all this? Uh, I'm honestly not sure, and it's why I'm a little torn on this one. But by all means, uh, this is a much more mature story and a better concept than his previous film. I personally can't help but feel disconnected from the message of the film, despite it ringing so true to the teenage experience. We're going to go ahead and give The Breakfast Club a 62. Wow, I'm kind of surprised that even made it in the '60s. Really? Yeah. Well, the performances are that bad. Well, they almost everyone. Maybe, maybe, maybe I oversold it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, '62 I think is a, a good balance, personally. Okay. Um, I mean, what, what did Coda get? I don't know. I don't know why that oh, was geez, on top know. of my mind when <laughs> I, I was watching this too. I might have gotten the '40s. I don't know. <laughs> maybe low '50s. Yeah, yeah. But interesting. Okay, '62 for the Breakfast Club. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know really know. I didn't have an idea what you were going to rate it. Mm. Uh, I was definitely curious of it because, again, we all know the name. Yeah. I don't know. For, for some reason, I always go back to Emilio Estevez because <laughs> it is just like, why do people know the name? What is he? Like, oh, right, Breakfast right. Club Kid. Okay, yeah, yeah. gotcha. But, uh, okay, all right. So, 62 for the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Uh, I certainly wasn't reflecting throughout the week. I wasn't reflecting as positively on this one. Like with 16 Candles, I was kind of thinking back very fondly to yes, a lot of were. setup of That's it. Yes, you That's right. So. Yeah, maybe not big returnability to this. I'm, again, I'm surprised there was enough there that you did enjoy to bring it up to a 62. Mm. But uh, regardless, okay, so we're going to jump ahead here. <laughs> we're going to start. Here our, we go. We're going to start. Here our tr- we go. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start. The trilogy. This is two thousand. <laughs> this is two thousand and twelve. This is Magic Mike. It's an hour and fifty. It's rated R. It's it's a director that we both kind of like, Steven Soderbergh. He's directing one for the ladies. Uh, he is. <laughs> and uh, so, Vin, how did we like Magic Mike? Let's get into it. Yeah. Let's let's buckle up, everybody. <laughs> this is yeah yeah. Strap yourselves yes. in. <laughs> throw on your favorite thong. <laughs> throw rip off your favorite assless chaps <laughs> <laughs> and and let's talk about magic mike uh, tom if there was anything keeping me interested is that i really do love soderbergh uh, as a director maybe yeah. not maybe not love love but he's someone i pay attention to Just the same thing it, it he never it seems like he never quite gets there to the top ranks yeah yeah but there's stuff that he comes out with that we really quite like and a lot of variety too like he's not afraid to tackle so many different genres hmm. and i think if anything okay. magic mike one is a perfect example of that it's interesting that you say that because when i think of soderbergh i think of him going down one route which is assembled cast oh true oh that's a good point i mean you that's look at a good point. the oceans movies and then he did uh what logan lucky yeah that's right did he yeah he did lucky logan cra- logan lucky whatever crazy that we saw that in and movies. then he did the hbo max one that yeah. we that we covered which yeah. was don't something about <laughs> What is no this? sudden moves. No sudden moves. <laughs> but generally saying, we like Soderbergh. Yes, We're not in yes. love with him or, or have the craziest, highest respect. Yeah, yeah. But we join him on screen. He usually makes pretty fun movies also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I that that that's was my kind of skin in the game prior to watching these movies this week. And boy, is there a curveball here because God damn it, how is Magic Mike 1 a good movie? I was so... <laughs> Goddamn angry. <laughs> you liked it. it. It's a good movie. Really? It's actually a good movie. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. All right, now, all right. I can't say the same for the sequels, but uh I, I mean seriously, uh, I'll I'll get into what I think uh, <laughs> I can boil all I'm these sh- films I'm down. Shocked. <laughs> he's, he's shocked. He's about he's buckle literally buckle up. He's a, Vin's about to tell us folks. Yeah, uh, why, why Magic Mike is better why than the Breakfast sh- Club. <laughs> Gather around. Gather around. Okay, get Bring into the whole go. family. Magic Mike is a male stripper who <laughs> played by Channing Tatum. And I would say right off the bat, 100% is the role that will define his career. I'm happy to say Channing is great in this. He has almost limitless charisma on screen. He literally charms the pants off of everyone. And I mean, I really mean literally. (laughs) We follow him bringing in a young buck to the stripper biz, and we see how the glamour quickly washes away like baby oil after a night's of hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get some bad out of the way. Uh, Did you watch this film, Tom? 
I didn't. <sighs> I'm I'm sorry. It's all right. Well, if there was one, I needed. <laughs> I know. Well, I was gonna watch. I suggested a different theme for the week, <laughs> and I said I would have watched all five had we no, done it. No, get out of here. Remember when I texted you? Yeah, you wanted. I wanted the, the th- two I wanted... Sex in the City movies added <laughs> yes. to the match. I said yes. I don't know. What I said. And I said if you do it, I'll do it. <laughs> right. We'll get right. our cosmos right. <laughs> And we'll sit down and we'll gush. <laughs> and we'll gush. Uh, no, unfortunately, I really wanted to. I, I, Like I said, actually, I was going to watch the one last week. Uh-huh. I was working on Sunday. I wanted to come home. I watched something <laughs> sure, easy. Sure, a likely it, excuse. It was going to be Magic Mike, and I ended up just watching Deliverance. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> the ultimate unwinding movie, <laughs> <Yeah>. Deliverance. <laughs> Anyway, no, apologies for not watching No, it. no, no sweat, no sweat. I, I would say more so just really for this one note, because am I going crazy? This film is so yellow. The color correction is to piss yellow. It's really? crazy. Very interesting. It's insane. Like, it is outright yellow. There are certain scenes, specifically any beach scene, that you can't bear. You can barely hmm. even see the water on the coastline because this film is so yellow. I have no idea. I like that's how if you ask me if I watch it because because I would have been all over that. (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. I would have been texting you. (laughs) Exactly. Why is this? Is there something wrong with the TV? You know, it's it's wild. Um, uh, Another negative on this one is that the licensed soundtrack, believe it or not, for a stripping movie is kind of bad. There are some unique picks, but most are really rough and. It feels like they were almost cutting corners on budget with this. It's really? just not what you hear in a club. Um, you know, that's kind of the the, the test for me. Okay. It's not what you hear in a club, stripping or otherwise. And this is actually a critique that I share with the third film, which, of course, Soderbergh returns for. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if his team, his music department, if he's choosing the music, I don't know. Well, what. what's funny is, I mean, a lot of his time, I like the movie. Well, I mean, the, the Oceans trilogy is... Right. I love the music, oh, and, they, and sure. they get better as you go. Exactly. I love that soundtrack. He Ocean's tunes 13. in the style more and more. Yeah. Uh, really interesting, because yeah. I could usually s- would see him as such a more creative guy. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's it's odd, because it, and it was also, also odd as a problem that I identified with one and three, not two, which doesn't show Soderbergh. Uh, yeah, it doesn't so bode well. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's getting the blame for that one. So, But the rest, folks, to my absolute shock, is actually pretty good. It is a drama about male strippers and exploitation. It's 50% a stripper party movie, 50% a stripper redemption story. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew McConaughey, absolutely phenomenal. He is a huge reason why I like this film so much. He's basically riffing on his Wolf of Wall Street character, and it is so great he is ah uh, so he okay yeah he's he's this antagonist he's absolutely the bad guy here and and it's also the closest thing that we get to i don't know like a a real a real asshole in the film all these mm. stripper strippers are super super charismatic they are kind of semi not con men, but they work cl- uh, crowd clubs ahead of the show to get people to go. You know, kind of free voucher okay. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that because it's all about just the tips. You know, when they're on when they're on stage. So, I mean, McConaughey in any kind of villainous role. I mean, he is so manipulative. So. Such a good villain role for him. I mean, it was really a joy every second he was on screen. I mean, I went out of my way to watch Dark Tower just because McConaughey was in a villain role. Wow. Uh, and I should have watched Magic Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Let that let that sit for it. Um, also, uh, you know, thongs aside, the character Mike is actually pretty great. Uh, it's crazy. He's got all the wit of like this master con man, but <laughs> they characterize him as such a great moral dude like he's he's an upstanding guy he's like the best big brother you could ever ask for he just charms the shit out of everyone on Channing screen. Tannenberg can be pretty good. Yeah. He can be pretty good at acting. And Magic Mike 1 is absolutely where that a shines. A standout. Yeah, yeah. absolutely okay. where it shines. I think the most important note here is that the film understands that this is Channing's strength on screen. He is just as equally a powerhouse in this film verbally as it is the stripping dancing you know physicality of it and that's something to put an important pin in because boy will that be a factor that we come back to for the both okay. of the sequels okay. that they lose 
what worked best. And I'm not even saying, you know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm not the demographic here. I mean, I'm sure people say that Channing's physicality and his stripping is the best part of the film. I'm telling you, his charisma, that is what sells the character. And, I, I, and they forget I can the totally character. believe that. Yeah. I can totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it before, and I'll say it again here. Uh, you know, physically, the actual stripping is good acting. You know, flashback to our Showgirls review, and you're going to see that the stripping in these films are essentially your action sequences, and that physicality is acting. Uh -huh. No less good acting. Okay. Uh, Showgirls was a real bad movie, so luckily that's not the only thing good here. You know, it, it's really important to... Regardless of how you're seeing the sexuality of the scene, if it turns you off, if it turns you on, this type of acting, I mean, it deserves praise. Uh, the physicality, I mean, he worked. It is a lot. They it, work their asses yes. off. Just yes. how, as terribly bad Showgirls was, she was, I forget, I forget the actress, uh, mm -hmm. she was dancing her ass off on it, it, Yeah. And you know? not only that, getting it, getting your body into peak physical condition. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not. I would never ever say about this movie. It's it's a breezy, easy check to go pick up. I mean, you there's no, no from the get go. I knew you got to work. I yeah. mean, and, and everyone was talking about, it, especially at the time it comes out, how yeah, good yeah. the dancing is, the lessons, blah blah blah. You know, mm -hmm. it is a thing. Yeah. So I mean, total total props or props are due. Absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. You know, in this film, stripping sequences are 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 constantly peppered throughout the uh, throughout the runtime. Like I said, fifty percent of it is fun stripper party time. It just really shows that there is a job for these these characters. You know, there are more group scenes which have much more choreography than something that you would see like in show in Showgirls, and that's something that will be only amped up in the sequels. So, for all the fellas listening, thinking no way in hell, you know, the dance scenes are filled with the joy of a hundred <laughs> women screaming. Like it's it's kind of great for a lot of reasons. Okay, so I think there's. There's a lot to these scenes besides just the sexu sexuality of it, and that's where I'm, I'm putting a lot of praise towards this. So, Tom, I, I, I don't want to compare too much, but... Oh, boy. It's basically just Boogie Nights again. It's a poor man's Boogie Nights. Um, oh, industry. Industry yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Industry stuff, but Rise, specifically fall, around exploitation. You know what I mean? Mm, it's okay. specifically... When the, you know, when the club, you know, when the club is shut down, mm -hmm. what baggage do they bring into real life right, by having right. this role? And that, in a different way, you know, Boogie Nights, it was good for Babylon <laughs> for in, in its kind of its arc. This one more specifically, it's a poor man's Boogie Nights because it's trying to tell this story of, well, you're going to have some baggage with this exploitation right, okay. of your body. In no way does it reach the peak <laughs> of what that movie achieves, but... In the same scope, it shows how dirty the business can really be once you step into the real world. And the most important note I need to make is that you don't see Boogie Nights becoming a franchise. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and give Magic Mike Here we go. a 71. Hey, hey, hey. I'm telling you, Woo. it was a solid, solid you know movie. I'm comfortable with saying Sodenberg really lives in the 70s. For us. Yeah. And that's not a bad place to be. Yeah. 70s is, you know, I mean, right. we're not your average dad's sure. 70s here. We will definitely see where he lives for the third. <laughs> we will know the exact address. Uh, by the way, very difficult to find uh, the music credits for this. Like, yeah. I don't know where the decision music came from. And, and primarily all licensed music as well, because again, it's all in the club. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, I know who the boom operator is. Yeah. I don't know when it actually came to music decisions here. Very difficult to find, honestly, yeah. online. Yeah. So a bit of a toss up, and I don't know if it's really up to Soderbergh or not. Sure, at that point. sure. Right, right. It's just that my observation is it kind of followed him. The The critique followed him when he returned yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. franchise. Okay, so that was 2012. <laughs> Boy, 71 for Magic Mike. <laughs> Let Did me tell you. It's a good movie. <laughs> okay. I, I, believe me, I wanted I, nothing more to, to shit on all of these three movies. I don't doubt it. I, yeah. I have I have no doubt if I were to watch this, I would be having a smile on my face. Yeah. Because it's just hilarious. You're in it. It's I said, God damn it, why is this movie as good as it is? <laughs> uh, our main lead here is Olivia Munn as well. Was she all right? I mean, we love Olivia Munn. <laughs> I, okay, maybe not. I don't know about okay, love. Okay. <laughs> See your nude. No, no comment. Oh, okay. Right. Very good. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. So this is that was 2012. This is three years later. 
This is Magic Mike Double XL. <laughs> uh, the director here is Gregory Jacobs, which is who's way more less known than, yeah. than Steven Soderbergh. I mean, even like he did. Now he just did Dog. Oh, with what's his face with Channing Tatum? So maybe he's tied to he, Channing. He didn't come from much though before this. Mm. Steven Soderbergh is a cinematographer. And, what? And apparently the film editor. But they did that thing where they, he took a pseudo name. Oh, really? Yeah. So the cinematographer was Steven Soderbergh, but it, it, he went as Peter Andrews. Wow. And then he went as Mary Ann Bernard in film <laughs> editing. Okay. Sometimes no, that happens. Sometimes so people some, do that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that's but about. But anyway, we have a, kind of a no-name director here coming back three years later for Magic Mate Double XL. Uh, returning characters. What do we have here? <laughs> what's, the, what's the setup for the film? Uh, uh, such a bad title. Such a trash movie. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Tom, um, I would say this is a severe, acute case of sequelitis. Uh, there is zero need for the story to continue. And right, if anything, right. it robs the first Magic Mike of what made it a good movie and completely throws out his ending as a character. Uh, let's lower expectations drastically here, folks. Uh, less Poor Man's Boogie Nights, more so Stripper Hangover Part 2. Uh, that's Okay, different twist. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit different. A little bit different. <laughs> so, uh, it also tries to make it seem like the supporting cast of the last film, the fellow strippers, was the main cast. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry, not a single actor showing up for the returning crew would even be in the top five of the last wow, film. Wow, okay. Yeah. okay. Now, granted, they earned their, their keep. This is much more a straight comedy, uh, a raunchy comedy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this, uh, this the bonding with the bros, uh, it does pay off in an ending sequence being a crazy 20-minute uncut live sequence uh, at the stripper convention. <laughs> and uh, I-, I would say it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It is also a clear example of razzle-dazzle that you forget how trash the movie was leading up to it because <laughs> it's such a, you know, it's such a bombastic yeah. ending to the film. So... But it shows the priority the film has. It's no longer about Mike. It's no longer about characters. No longer about the biz. It's about showing off some mom porn. Showing off some stripping <laughs> of some boys. So, uh, For the story, I would say it is a meteoric drop into the dumpster fire. Uh, it's kind of just a comedy road trip with the bros to the big stripper convention. That's basically <laughs> Magic Mike Double XL in an elevator pitch. <laughs> Let's get the bros to the big stripper convention. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, it's it's kind of funny in, in, in a lot of spots. Yeah, it's um, going to be pretty dumb in a yeah. humorous way. Yeah. yeah. There's a gas station dance scene where one of them tries to um, uh, seduce like this random uh, gas station clerk. Uh, there's also a uh, a house mom dance scene, which is which is pretty funny. But honestly, this this movie does everything worse. Character goals, strippers with heart as kind of a theme, even the meet cute romance, uh, all drastically, 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 drastically worse. Hmm. Yeah. The only aspect that I think is better is the dancing and the stripping, and I'll I'll circle back to that for now because again, it's it's all leading up to that twenty. 20 minutes of just like uncut it's like i don't even know how many people in the crowd how they filmed it was again very regrettably i say impressive (laughs) 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 but uh yeah it's it's everything else is a step backwards let's get into some real real bad moments jada pink and smith is terrible Mm, in no shock no shock uh a real snoozer of a performance and she's she for some reason, she's just given a huge role in this. Like, why? Uh, she's introduced as a surprise as well, and it just was a total disappointment for me. Uh, <laughs> like, it was like, oh, oh guess, no. guess who Magic Mike's calling? They're in a pinch, and it was Jada. Jada. Mm, nope, nope. <laughs> and then Amber Heard is in this as well, and mm. I, was, I was just cracking up. I was just like, this movie has all the, the worst women in Hollywood. <laughs> It's just terrible. <laughs> it's god-awful. For real, though, Amber Heard has zero reason to be in this film, and honestly, it's laughable that she got paid for this. Okay. You know, it, I, I'm I, Laughable. And I mean, like, 100% 
all that comes with her in the news, Johnny right, De- right. all that aside, it is laughable she got paid for this role. <laughs> she could have been CGI edited in uh, or literally anyone. Unfortunately, Mike's character has been stripped of any cool factor, any expertise that made him great in the first film. There's no charm there's no older brother you know uh cool factor there, there's nothing he's dumb jock to, dumb jock guy. not even he's like because there's a new stripping circuit mike is constantly a fish out of water and, and is robbed of those moments where he charms you to death mm, and that's right. where i put a pin in you know talking about what channing is bringing to this role it's more than just the physicality he's selling mike as a character sure. we you know even relatively give a damn about man it's just so bad he's just awkward and mild and yeah it's it's just very disappointing There's also guest stars galore. Uh, The film functions more as a platform for actors to pop in for a sexy cameo. Of course, Jada. We have Childish Gambino. uh, And also Michael Strahan. (laughs) (laughs) I saw. They they, they slip them in. They slip slip them in. Uh, (laughs) it It was surprising. Uh, worst of all, these guest spots take away the story from Mike. The story is called Magic Mike and straight up f- these movies for making me care about Magic Mike's character development. Like, absolutely screw these movies for making me actually give a damn about, about Mike, Mike. About the Mike. character. Like... <laughs> They completely, absolutely threw everything that the first film built, what it worked, why he worked on screen, and they threw it in the dumpster. It's crazy. Not surprised. Are you surprised? That's when I texted you, too, because it was like, I'm making notes about how Magic Mike's character (laughs) is gone. (laughs) And it's clearly not what these movies are about. But but where's the shock? Where's the surprise? Why are you surprised by this? Because they had it right once. You know, they had it right once. Yes, yes, yes. Unreal. Okay. Unreal. Let's talk about some of the dancing. Uh, I have to be straight up here. Channing is uh, killing it. About an hour in, he does a dance for Jada's club. And I would say, the shit's impressive. Like, watch a girl... Channing's gonna steal your girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he is dancing his ass off, and and again hits on that same factor that like I cannot rob him as an actor. Of no, praise absolutely there. not. I Ab- can't do that shit. No, and not only that, I don't think ninety nine percent of actors in Hollywood could do this. Uh, uh, it's very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's very impressive. Right. Uh, Tom, I kid you not. As well, there is. <laughs> There is a Fred Astaire style dance sequence in this movie. I, I kid <laughs> no, you. Look at not. me in the eyes right now. I kid you. I can't. No. I can't. What do you mean? So like a nice calm. No, like no, no, a, like no. A, well, yeah. Where he uses the mm, the, the surroundings. Exactly. Yes. Bingo, bingo. Okay. Uh, he it's it's, it's uh, not he, just a chair in the, in the in the middle of the floor. Right, right. He's in a workshop, and this is the the genuine pony. Uh, song uh, ah, plays over it. Yes, and, and, and you know if there's gonna be an iconic scene, you know it's it's this one. But I'm telling you, if, if there is anyone qualified to make this statement, it is Vincent Daly. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I You're would given say, all rights. You're given all rights. <laughs> right. I don't think there's a single soul alive that can make this connection. But I am telling you, one hundred. I hear from some people. <laughs> right, the Fred Astaire. Yeah, you're saying you're the fish the official Fred Astaire expert. Okay. <laughs> Fred Astaire, it is, I'm telling you, it is a sequence right out of like the royal wedding or something like that, where he's using all the different things in the dance. Uh, I'm telling you. Wow, you were smitten. You were taken, you were swept off your feet (laughs) by Channing Tatum. (laughs) I will put 100% of the money on it, on that comparison. (laughs) I swear to God. But folks, uh, I would say, you know, compare the first 30 minutes of both of these films side to side and you will understand how just truly terrible of a sequel this is. If you are curious about the film, literally just watch the last 20 minutes performance. That's it. Uh, Because that's where you're going to get all the best character Mm, moments. Yeah. All the dancing. And again, a very ambitious uncut sequence going from dance to dance to dance in the stripper convention uh (laughs) it's it's unreal but 
Hold on to your tearaway pants because we have one more movie to stumble through. For now, we're going to go ahead and give Magic Mike Double XL a 26. Oh, wow. Wow. Really bad. It's a real bad movie. Really bad. Yeah, it's a yeah. real bad movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I said, same director and um, and the writer as well. It's the same ones that, yeah. same ones that did Dog. They did like White House. What? They did like White House Down or something like that. Interesting. Dog um, was another one. That we we uh, came away. We had the podcast. I don't know why we didn't cover Dog. <laughs> we know exactly why we didn't right, cover Dog. Right. No one cares. Right. No one ever brought it up once. But uh, okay, dog. a big old drop off here. Okay, big old drop off. This is our newly released. Oh, how about this? Okay, folks, va- value for value <laughs> model. He's, he's flustered. He's flustered. Listen, we're no different than a bunch of strippers trying to get some dollar bills on the old jockstrap. I don't in even know. The old G-string. Listen, are you finding the podcast valuable? Um, are you enjoying yourself here? If you can, you go to thedailyratings.com and you tell us what kind of value that you're getting from us and give us some value back through monetary support. So dailyratings.com and like I said, go to the donations tab. You go under the comment section. Go ahead and write a note in. We're going to read it here. And it is a through line to you. Let us know what's on your mind, question, comments, critiques, whatever. doesn't really matter. Sure. When you donate, of course, uh, you become a producer of the daily ratings and as we build producerships around mm-hmm. here as more and more people become producers we can't thank you enough it's going to help keep this thing going and again it's dailyratings.com head to the donations tab thank you so much okay now <laughs> new, this is our newly released magic yep. mike's last dance okay like we said sodenberg <laughs> is back back in the saddle or should i say back in the assless chat <laughs> nice <laughs> how do we return to this Intellectual property. What do we close out with with, with Magic Mike? I, I don't mean, know. He's airborne now, right? <laughs> he has, he's, he's, he's worldwide. He's worldwide. He's jet set. Global Mike. Uh, Tom, I seriously thought, how could it get any worse? How it's could worse? It, how could I'm it get any shocked. worse? It is. You know, I mean, how could it? Let me tell you. This film dials back the raunchy sec- sex appeal of the second. And in the process, honestly, loses everything. I mean, it loses... The fun of the second film, as asinine as 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 ludicrous as the story setup is, again, road trip to the stripper convention. Right. You know, I mean, it's so not it, trying it, to tell a story. This it loses the raunchiness that was the last remnant of the second film, and now has nothing. Okay, There's so nothing going. No on. reason to return to it. No. Story wise, so this really is the thing of. Mike, let's put Mike here. Yeah. Let's put Mike there. Yeah. This is very much like Die Hard. Die Hard here. Die Hard <laughs> oh, there. Oh, good cat. It's yeah. just like, where are we going to place Mike, Magic Mike in the world? <laughs> right, right. Okay. So where are we now? I, I, we're in London? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the setup is just as forced as the last one. Magic Mike gets a sugar mama cougar. And is taken to London to develop his own strip show. Uh, one twist, and, and again, will be added to... Just like why this film is so joyless uh, is that he's done with dancing and pouts around near constantly about how everyone wants him to strip and how he doesn't want to strip. And it's what everyone came here to see him do. Oh, so he's he's past his he's done. Right. He's trying to hang up the right. traps. He's trying to hang he's the traps up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 real annoying because once again, the character isn't having fun. You know, in, in, in Magic Mike 1, mm. the character's having fun. Having a blast. Yeah. That is sold through his energy. That is sold through his charisma. Working with other characters. That's definitely there. I mean, if anything, uh, fun is right. the only word uh, for Double XL. Here, there's no fun. And it's just, and that's what I mean by, like, it loses the only thing the sequel had going for it. Yes. And now is, wh- where does it sit? You know what I mean? I feel like it is a complete, complete trash movie. Wow. So before he was like the Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapons, and now he's more a Danny Glover. I'm getting too old for this shit. I, yeah, I mean, your comparison game is wild. I, I like you or you're stabbing in a lot of directions. That's what we have. We have. I like it, though. I like it. Does he pick up the chaps for one more time? And he's just like, all right, one last time or one something last, like that. Yeah, basically. That's basically it. There is more of a rom-com to this than ever before, but emphasis on the romance. Uh, it's a bit sadder. It's a bit slower, uh, but one thing is clear. It is yet another massive turn in genre and style. Mm. Still very much a comedy in a lot of ways, but the film is pigeonholed by aspects of other films that flat out don't work. 
This film includes odd things like a semi-serious, like pretentious narration hmm. from a little girl character that this little girl character will eventually cross paths with the story about stripping. So it's just like, no, no, <laughs> remove the little girl. Someone else can make the narration. I, I, give it to Mike. Mike's not acting enough. <laughs> like, give it to Channing. It's unreal. And Selma Hayek um, it, it just has more character de- development, more character focus than Mike ever had in the last two movies. Okay. Once again, sidelining him in his own film. I mean, I didn't expect to make two Marvel comparisons ooh, in ooh. one thing. But, I mean, Matt, these these last two movies, they have the same problem that Marvel has, that they sideline who is in the name uh, of the title. So we're Salma heavy. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's it's her, it's her film, basically. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically go from Poor Man's Boogie Nights yep. to Stripper Hangover Part 2. Yep. And now we go to a gender-swapped pretty woman because Selma Hayek is very rich. Obviously, Magic Mike is the stripper, is, okay. is the working, <laughs> you know, working professional, and he's kind of whisked away into this sugar mama cougar scenario that it, again feels very like Pretty Woman uh, or gender swapped at least. Let's Taking talk about first. Hayek, okay? Oh, because <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> if, folks, if you took a look at the trailer and thought. Uh, Selma Hayek was actually dancing with Mike on stage at some point in this. Uh, I don't know if there was a, a different trailer. Sometimes different trailers have different cuts. Uh, Selma Hayek does not dance in this. Uh, okay. So, you know, I feel like a lot of the marketing of this film was like, oh, well, bring your boyfriend for Valentine's Day. Uh, you're not only getting Mike, you're getting Selma. Like, you know what I mean? There's like a B cut or something yeah. that was on the editing floor or something. Yeah. yeah. She does not dance. She is the worst part about this film. I mean, <laughs> she is the poison pill for this film. It is worse than Tom Hanks in Elvis. That is how bad she is. In this. Her act, her acting? Oh, her, uh, everything. It, 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 emotions. Her and... impact, how she derails scenes, ah. how there is no charismatic volley between uh, Channing Tatum and her. Oh, okay. All like right. Tatum cannot. No chemistry there. Yeah, there's yeah. no chemistry, but there's also no comedic back and forth. Mike can't be playful because she's like this, you know. It's like a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. She's flat out terrible. That's the note. She's flat out terrible in this. And again, I think primarily it's because she just lacks this volley with uh, Channing Tatum uh, as a love interest. And if there's anything that you need in a rom-com, you need to kind of have that electricity. You need oh, to have sure. some playfulness. You got to make it work. Yep. Yeah, there's no there's no flirtiness with it. So her character is going through kind of a personal crisis and upon receiving one, and I mean one lap dance from Mike, she flips her entire life upside. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 moves him to London, she's giving him a show. Is one lap dance was that good? <laughs> she she turns her whole life upside down. The writing of this character this way, it, it spotlights how it's directly about her though. And that's where it's not about Mike anymore. I mean, yeah, like critically, literally. it's yeah. not about Mike anymore. Uh, Magic Mike is more exploited than ever at, as her personal prostitute. And again, that just spits so much in the face of what the first one was going for. And again, screw these movies for making me care about my, I know. <laughs> Magic I, Mike's I, character I, arc. <laughs> like, oh my God. The fact that I'm put in this position is is outrageous. (laughs) Seriously, she has more of a dominant role than Mike himself, and her contribution to scenes are always just hijacking any and all fun to insert her menopausal panic acting that comes off more exhausting than entertaining. Uh, I mean, seriously, it is one of the worst roles she has ever been wow. with. I was annoyed wow. anytime words came out of her mouth. We just saw her in Puss in Boots. <laughs> <laughs> Drastically different. Yeah. <laughs> What's Ma- funny is Kitty Softpaws could easily be her stripper name. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's quick. Kitty Softpaws. I, I wish. I wish she got on stage. I wish. Making things worse, Channing has lost even more charm as Mike the character. From slickest man around, he is more bashful and out of his element than ever because guess what? Who is he following these jokes, these kind of slick street stripper kind of, you know, punchlines? Guess what? It's being matched up with uptight British people. And oh, it's like, interesting. It just That's true. fails. The it, fact it, that we're in that we're in London now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe it's like, 
cute comedically. Just like, oh, look, they don't, they don't get him. <laughs> uh, it's so, it, you can feel the jokes fail as they are coming out of his mouth because there's just no one to kick it back. Right, there's right. no one to riff with. Uh, and, and again, just total opposite of what the first film was. This film series officially <laughs> is in the same boat as Fantastic Beasts, uh, in that none of the sequels understand Jack about mm. what worked in the first one. I am officially dubbing a new syndrome, Tom, for oh. the podcast. It'll be known as Magic Mike Syndrome, trilogies that should have never been trilogies. I love it. You like that? I absolutely love that. Maybe that's a compilation. Maybe that's something. What's it called? The, 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 the Magic Mike Syndrome. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> of the, we got Suicide Squad Syndrome. We've got Magic Mike Syndrome. And a lot more. And I'm yeah, sure that they, <laughs> they come and go. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But specifically trilogies that should have never been trilogies. It should have never been a trilogy. Uh, seriously. No, uh, it, it did. The first one did surprisingly well in theaters. That's why. Yeah. And uh, they were like, let's just keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But... <laughs> <laughs> what a lifeless film. Everything outside of the dancing is so awkward and clumsy. And both the romance and the comedy really fails. To illustrate this, uh, of how this is worse than even two, the stripping is seriously tame. I mean, you could take your grandma to see this shit. No right. joke. Right. All the sex appeal is lost when Mike casts exclusively street performers as his dancer for the show. So that even though that there's this kind of similar but not as good 20 last minute razzle dazzle take it is so mild it barely dazzles you know right. it's missing yeah. again the fun the the sex appeal of two that was all of two so stripping that what does this film have left like why are we watching this film it's it's all more interpretive dance and street dance than stripping uh, and Tom, to quote White Christmas, they're not stripping Ooh. anymore. They're doing choreography. That's <laughs> <laughs> not the quote. You know it is. not the quote. They're not stripping anymore. I know they're not doing <laughs> <laughs> No, I like it. It's just not the quote. Is that how you actually thought the song went? No. Oh, of oh, course oh, it's oh, not okay, talking about right. stripping. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See how seriously I take the movie. Yeah, what right. are you talking about? Right. Sorry, very good joke. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> I, I, love I meant to say it's very good. But yeah, I mean, not stripping anymore. Than <laughs> there we go. He's, he's, he's getting it I just had to settle in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the issue with this film is that it is trying to tell Pretty Woman as a love story, but. It leaves little time for stripping during the runtime of the film, and then its priorities are just confused. Uh, like I said, um, you know, something that continues from the sequel is this final dance segment that is performed all live with little cuts. But the issue is that we see all the dancing backloaded and barely any dancing leading up because of this romance focus. So. You know, when there is finally stripping showing up in the film, it is so mild mm. and so tame in comparison, especially, I mean, it is, it's so tame compared to the second Magic Mike. It just loses all appeal and reputation for fun. I think if there's a reputation for these films, it's like, hey, you're oh, going to have at, a fun time. 100%. Exactly. Bring Gra the girls. Grab the gals. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time. This film was the farthest from fun. Yeah. So what do we, again. Such I, a shame with Steven Soderbergh, too. Yeah. It's, that's, I can't, that's, getting, that's just stuck in my head. It's like, wow, and this is Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's coming back to his, I mean, it's his <clears throat> franchise. I mean, if, especially <laughs> if he's it's his. working under aliases on the second one. It's definitely him. <laughs> yeah. That entertainment fun factor was the only scraps the second film hung on to, uh, making it its entire identity. So this film losing what makes that, uh, a, a, you know, at all a film that you should maybe check out. Uh, I mean, it really begs the question why anyone is watching this at all. I hate to say it. We're going to go ahead okay. and give Magic Mike Last Dance a 15. Wow. I can't believe it. It is. It is the fantastic. It just gets worse and worse. Yeah. It's real. Okay. Soderbergh doesn't live in the 70s anymore. Yeah. I guess, so. <laughs> That's what I said. We, we're going to know where he wow. lives. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Very upsetting. Very upsetting. Yeah. Let me tell you. Now, uh, if writing has to do with some of it, writing, it's the same one writer for all three. Okay. Like Soderbergh never wrote. Okay. Which he has in the past. Well, um, and a lot of it, uh, blame on him. Who, who's the writer? Reed Carolyn. 
Oh, which uh, yeah, he does the magic mics, and then he does dog and does oh, so White House this down. Is one of Channing's boys even. That or, makes me uh, even have more questions though, because Channing's clearly having fun in the first magic mic. He's having less fun in hit? the second one. I, He's having no fun in this one. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. It's number one uh, of the weekend. Didn't do that great, but it wasn't too many theaters either. Mm. I still think this is going to be like okay as far as sure. box office, especially box office today goes. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, but if there's any reputation, you know, for fun to for a girls' night, it's gals' out. night exactly. It's a gals' night, yeah. So it's going to bring in for the box office at least for that first, at least watch. for a bit. Yeah. yeah, I don't think even a poor review, no less of fifteen right. for me. <laughs> Not that we have a lot. Fifteen's of... really bad. Yeah, yeah. This is exciting. Uh, <laughs> this, this this is very. It's, I love getting below twenties. <laughs> <laughs> okay wow yeah. looking at these okay so by the way um just going back to last week knock yeah. at the cabin door or yeah. knock at the cabin door. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> messed it up so many times last week knock, knock at the cabin knock yeah. at the cabin um really not doing well really it opened to number one last week and it's not even in the top five now wow you know what is in the top two so top so it goes magic mike yep made 8.3 million yep then avatar the way water 7.2 okay uh-huh. Uh, in third place was six point seven million in the weekend. Yeah, was Titanic because the twenty fifth <laughs> anniversary. And what's and the follow up? Eighty for Brady, and then Puss, oh. in, Puss in Boots has been hanging on a number. Oh, five. I thought you were gonna say uh, Avatar, like a Titanic, like a Cameron double feature. Yeah, Avatar is two. Oh, Avatar okay. is two. Titanic is three. Eighty for Brady is four, and Puss in Boots is five. Wow. And then six is knock at the at knock at the cabin. That's crazy. Which is not good for Shyamalan. Yeah, it's that's not, not voting good. well. I mean, sure he'll be back in two years. <laughs> right, but you know, it's, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Vin. We have okay. Looking at these films, do you have any notes or watch Magic credits? Mike One? I swear to God, uh, I mean, I think like, so I think I'm telling you, like, uh, McConaughey as a villain does, alone is is why it's a watch. Okay, now d- as a pure comedy, do you throw this on as a modern day comedy? No, I would throw on the second one as a comedy. Turn your brain off too, you know, kind okay. of thing. Yeah, kind of surprises uh, me, but okay. Yeah, but honestly, uh, again, it's uh, the first one. If You've watched Boogie Nights. You want something that's kind of looking at a dirty industry and Every how time that you say fun, that, you know, PTA dies a little inside. <laughs> oh, I bet he does. <laughs> I bet he does. Oh, and that's why it's the poor man's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, believe me, I I was so so upset with <laughs> with Magic Mike Last Dance <laughs> that I was almost, I didn't do it, but I was almost tempted to watch Magic Mike 1 again. 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 Just to I put a s- smile on your face. <laughs> Say, where did it all go wrong? For real. For real. I mean, how the mighty falls there. Um, okay, Vin, thank you so much for watching these films. Thanks for stopping by. Folks at home, we will run it down one more time. We have The Ziegfeld Follies with a 59%, The Breakfast Club with a 62 Magic Mike with a 71 Magic Mike Double XL with a 26 and Magic Mike's Last Dance with a 15%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth the watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.